confidence in God and no joy like the joy which he gives. And that this psalm reminds us of that reality. We need not be afraid. He is our stronghold. Will you stand with me as we call one another to worship with this responsive reading? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. Now let us take our hymns of grace, the hymns of grace hymn book, and turn together to number five, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. That's how great thou art. All right? Let's sing how great thou art. All right? Number five in your hymn books, How Great Thou Art.
Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with adoration and thanksgiving to worship you, the God of all creation, because you are worthy of all praise. And we come in the name of our Lord Jesus and by his blood shed for the forgiveness of all our sin. Because of his righteousness imputed to us, we ask that you would be pleased to draw near to us in this service and give us grace to worship you truly and to love you as we ought and to glorify you by our singing and our giving and by the reading and preaching of your word. We pray the Holy Spirit will be working among us that none here will have hearts hardened against your word like ground by the side of the road or rocky ground. Preserve us, we pray, from your word being choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Make our hearts to be fertile soil for your word this hour, that we may understand it and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold, all to your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 267. 267, the Word of God incarnate, O wisdom from on high. 267 in the Trinity hymn books.
Well, our consecutive reading this morning is Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 23. Uh, and you recognize it as the parable of the sower. And uh, if you were in Sunday school today, you know Bill mentioned a few things about this passage today. And uh, we, we want to, I think, uh, view a couple different things about it. The first is that uh, I think it's as Matthew Henry says, parables are meant to reveal and to conceal. They're a, a simple definition, a uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we see here that uh, Jesus does conceal some to the crowds, and he reveals uh, to his disciples, and he gives the reason for that. They ask him the reason. Bill brought that up in Sunday school today. What's the reason for the... Uh, parabolic language and Jesus gives the reason so um, one other thing I might want to uh, point out or have us consider to ask ourselves is uh, two different questions the first being what kind of soil am I and the second is am I sowing again I think it was Matthew Henry that said uh, we might want to uh, not press into this parable what is mentioned in the following parable, the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares, but Jesus gives that interpretation too, that he, the Son of Man, is the sower. And so it's not too much of a stretch to say that he would be the sower here too, but by extension, the Apostle Paul said, um, I planted and Apollos watered, and so the apostles and the Saints, after the apostles are gone, are the sowers, not just pastors or elders. So the second question is, am I sowing? What kind of soil am I? Am I doing some sowing? Because that's what we're here for. Okay, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. 
But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. As again we seek our God together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Stearns who labor in the Middle East. From the letter we received this past week, we understand that they will be returning back to the States sometime in May, and then we'll have about a year's sabbatical uh, that the elders there at the Arbor Church in Akron, Ohio, felt was necessary, as well as with Ryan, who um, is, is, is not only studying at the Reformed Baptist Seminary, but, but has been laboring and seeing very little fruit and and for the lack of better terms, I think they said he feels a bit burned out. And so he'll be returning, and the family will be returning back to the States um, in May, and will be here for a year. But we want to pray for them as they come back. Let's seek our God together. Our Father in heaven, again, we come before you with grateful hearts. We're thankful that you have not left us alone, but that you've given us your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And we pray that, Father, we might be diligent in studying the word of God and seeking to apply that word to our hearts. We pray, even as already been prayed, that our hearts have been prepared to receive the word of God, that it might grow thereby. And yet we know that there may be some who sit among us who are like that, that hard ground. They, they don't want to hear the word of God. They do not want to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And how we pray today you would come and by the work of your spirit break up that hard ground and give them a heart of flesh. May they receive the word of God. Father, may you by your grace bring to them to faith and repentance this day that they might be added to the kingdom of God. Father, we would pray that you would be with us as a nation. We seem to be going through a time of, of turmoil, of unsettledness and uncertainty. Father, we pray that during these days, we as believers may shine as lights in the midst of darkness, that our confidence is not found in horses or in men, but our confidence is found in the Lord our God, who is sovereign over all things. He's the one who plans and purposes all things. And therefore, we can trust Him, for we have the assurance that He will do us good, those of us who love Him and are called 
according to his purpose. But Father, during these days, we would pray that you would put down evil, expose evil. And Father, how we pray that that would be put to an end. And we don't think of places there in the Ukraine and Russia, but we think of things right here at home, right here in our own land, as we see babies being slaughtered day by day when, when there doesn't seem to be a moral compass that anyone lives by. Father, we pray that you would expose sin and bring men even unto yourself. Father, we pray that you would bring within the hearts of our leaders a fear of God more than a fear of man. Father, we would pray that your gospel would go forth. It's the hope, the hope that we have. And Father, we pray that you would be with the Stearns as they finish up their time there in the Middle East for a while. We pray, Father, that as they return back to the States, that things would go well for them, that Ryan would be able to complete his studies at the Reformed Seminary. We pray, Father, that as the children adjust to living here in the States, that you would help them with that, be with Ryan and Aaron as they seek to bring up their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Be with the Arbor Church as they return there. Be with the elders and give them wisdom. And we pray that these would be days of refreshment and renewal for the Stearns. And that if you are pleased, you would have them go back to the Middle East uh, later on in, in, in years to come. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us. We are dependent upon your Spirit, and we pray that the Spirit of God through the Word of God would come and minister to us this day as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God again, take the hymns of grace, hymns of grace turning to hymn 133, all glory be to Christ, it's a somewhat new song for us, the tune is familiar, uh, but again I trust it's one that expresses the desire of our hearts, all glory be to Christ, 133 hymns of grace. Stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Throughout the Word of God, men and women of God have needed to exercise great courage in the midst of real and present dangers. You see, courage is the determination to follow difficult instructions when confronted with overwhelming odds. Let me say that again. Courage is the determination to follow God's instructions when confronted with overwhelming odds. We think of a man like David. You're familiar, most of you, if not all of you, with that story about David going up against Goliath there in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You might recall that Saul told David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. Now that's true. David was but a young boy. And Goliath had been a warrior for years. And the odds were stacked against him. In fact, you might recall that David said to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. And Goliath says to David, You come to me with sticks. I would say that the odds were in Goliath's favor. If I were in David's shoes, I believe I would certainly be a bit overwhelmed. I would think in human terms this is an impossible task. But David fought in the name of the Lord. In the passage we're going to look at this morning, fear comes into play very much. I'm reminded of the words that the Lord spoke to Joshua there in Joshua chapter 1. The Lord says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? Oh, because you're such a great leader, because you have a massive army. No, no. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Later on, in chapter 3, Joshua is told, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Those thoughts come into play when we read the passage that we are looking at this morning. So follow as I start reading in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 7 and read to the end of the chapter. You shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eye shall not pity them, nor will you serve their gods for they would be a snare to you. 
If you would say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, and the signs and wonders, and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. You shall, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornets against them until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts will, would grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will deliver their kings into your hand so that you will make their names perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will not or you will be a snare you will be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it be, and like it come under the band. You shall utterly detest it. You shall utterly abhor it, for it is something banned. And we'll stop our reading there. As we come to open up these verses together, we shall do so under three heads. And as we consider these things together, I pray it will help us and aid us to have courage and determination needed to follow God's instructions even in the midst of overwhelming chances. We are to obey God in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. Any child of God who's honest with his own heart would have to, experience, would have to acknowledge that sometimes obeying God seems to be a bit much, but we must do so. Be found obedient to His commands. So the first thing I want you to notice with me from this text or this passage is what I'm calling the perplexing outcry. The perplexing outcry. Now, now to understand what's going on here, we must understand what instructions are given to the children of Israel. So first of all, notice with me the directions given. God has promised Abraham and his seed to be a great nation. And no doubt, that would have been an exciting thing. God had promised that He was going to deliver for the children of Israel a land to be their own. 
He was going to be a faithful God. He has promised to deliver that land to them. The reality is this land will be yours. And, and no doubt that would raise some excitement when they heard the Lord say to them, I will bring you into the land and I will clear away many nations before you. No doubt that would have been exciting news. You can imagine this thousands of thousands of people being told by God, I'm going to clear away the land. I'm going to give you this land. But as we look at this passage, we see that the people of God were given some directions as to how that was going to be accomplished. They were to take the land by warfare. They were to take the land by fighting. And they understood that there were great and powerful nations in the land. And yet God's direction to them was to fight and to conquer through warfare in order to take the promised land. If you look there at verse 2 of chapter 7, read these words, When the Lord your God delivers them before you, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eye will not have pity on them. Nor will you serve their gods, for they will be a snare to you. The, the instructions handed down, the directions given, are quite clear. You're to go in, and you're to fight, and you're to conquer. You're to tear down altars. You're, you're to smash sacred pillars. You're to hew down the ashram. You're to burn graven images. Yes, this is a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. But you must go and you must conquer. That, that's the directions given. But notice the protest that is stated. The, the protest. And, and, and Moses even acknowledges this. Here in our passage, verse 17, If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispose of them? The thought of entering into that land with great and powerful nations occupying that land what was a bit overwhelming. You, you might remember the first time they were going to enter into that land just 40-some years earlier. And they sent the spies into the land to scout out the land. And the report that came back was, these are strong cities, fortified. Very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Echen there, which were giants. These guys are huge. How are we going to take this land? 
How are we going to go up against them? Moses remembers what happened 40 years earlier and how unbelief and, and disobedience would keep them from entering into the land. The, the people were overwhelmed and terrified. And what happened? God brings judgment upon them. And for 40 years they would now wander in the wilderness. And the, 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 the ones who left there would now die in the wilderness. And now a second generation comes up to this land. And they're told, go and take the land. Conquer the land. You can imagine how, how they would be fearful and terrified. You see, things haven't changed. Those that occupy that land are still stronger and greater than we are. The question is, will you now be obedient to what God told you to do? Go and take the land. Someone has said where there had been no change over there, the question is, has there been a change in their hearts? You see, what Moses reports, that this nation is greater and stronger, is a true report. Moses is not exaggerating. These nations are greater than we are. That, that's the reality. They seem to be stronger than we are. The, the fear that they, they, they come to know in their hearts is built upon reality. This is true. How, how can we who are weak and small ever conquer these people? You see, God often gives to us tasks that we feel the real fear that accompanies it. How, how can I do that? How can I be faithful to that task? I feel my own weakness. I know my own smallness. What, what can I do? I, I know my own vulnerable state. How, how can I conquer these things? So here we have the perplexing outcry. Go and, and conquer this land. And yet, we are so small and so weak. How can we do that? That leads us secondly to notice the previous outcome. The previous outcome. We see here in our passage of Scripture that once it's been acknowledged that fear may arise in your heart because the nations are greater, verse 18, they are told, you shall not be afraid of them, but you will remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. So first of all, he gives them an imperative. The imperative is, do not be afraid. How often 
Have we read those words in the Word of God? Do not be afraid. Here's the situation. And your response is predictable. Fear may rise up in your heart, but but don't you allow it. Do not fear. Imagine Moses could say, I'm not saying you don't have reason to fear, but don't. Don't. What you're to do is clear. The duty is set out. Don't give in to fear, but be obedient. That's the response announced. And, and we ought to thank God. He then, he then gives us the reasons they ought not to be afraid. I mean, God, God could have said, do not fear and left it there. You know how we do that as parents sometimes? You do this. Why? Because I said so. God could have done that. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I said so. But He doesn't. He expands on it. And He gives us the reasons. And, and, and the reason is, He said, you remember what has happened in the past. How God was pleased to give them safety out of a land that was stronger and greater than they were as well. Remember Egypt. Remember Pharaoh. Remember how you were in bondage. And remember what your eyes saw. The signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm which, which brought you out. Remember what God did. When you're afraid... Don't ask the question, what can I do? But ask the question, with God's help, what can I accomplish? Oftentimes, in the midst of fear, we, we, we ask the question, what can I do? But we leave out God. We, we become practical atheists. We, we forget God. And here Moses is reminding the people, don't forget what your God has done. Remember, without me, you can do nothing. The God who has given you instruction to conquer the land is the God who will act on your behalf. This is where you begin to develop confidence. Not confidence in me, but, but confidence in my God. Of whom shall I be afraid? We, we, we read there in Psalm 27. Where, when I have confidence in my God. He's done for you what looks to be impossible. With God at your side, look, look at what He's done. Consider what's taken place. Consider the reality that, that He's in control of all things. It is God who controls the river and turns it into blood. It is God 
who can take a frog and so multiply it that it smites the whole land. He controls gnats and livestock and locusts and darkness and even life and even death. Look at the mighty hand of God in the midst of the nation who held you bondage. And look how God brought you out. Which one of you was it that produced all those frogs? Which one of, which one of you was it the one that brought darkness over the whole land? Which one of you developed the plan of, of the death of the firstborn unless the, the blood was over the doorpost? How, how were you delivered out of that bondage? Did you not see the mighty outstretched arm of God to bring you through what looks to be overwhelming circumstances? Was this not the Lord's doing? And then even once you left Egypt, what happened? Look at how God's provided. He gave you a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. He gave you water out of a rock. He produced manna. Notice your clothes and your shoes. They've never worn out. Look at what God has done. Consider His working in the past. That's what He tells them. Do not be afraid. When I've given you instruction, put your confidence in Me and I will be your help to do what I've directed you to do. So that your confidence isn't in your flesh and in your weakness, but in your great and awesome God. Why are you afraid? Because you've lost sight of God. That's why. That's why. So this is the God who now directs you to enter into the land and to conquer that land. This is what you're to be doing. So we have seen here in this passage what I have referred to as the perplexing outcry, the previous outcome, and then that leads us thirdly to the proper outlook. The proper outlook. As we come to verses 19 through the end of this chapter, there, there are many things that could be said, but I think the dominant lesson of this portion of Scripture comes to us in verse 21. Notice what he says. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. There are nations before you that are great and strong. Uh, nations that perhaps would strike fear in your heart. And that fear is real. And you may step back and say, there is no way that, that I can conquer them. 
And, and if you're honest concerning your own weakness and, and considering your own smallness, you are right. You can't. But remember, as you're thinking about your own weakness and your own smallness, remember how great and how awesome your God is. Remember what God can do. I think it's interesting when we read there in verse 20. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornets against them. Now, in commentaries and interpreters come up with what exactly are hornets. And some think it refers to, to different armies going in and so forth. But at the end of the day, I, I sort of step back and say, you know what? You, you look at these great nations and you're going up against them and, and they've got great places to hide where you may not be able to find them. And God says, you know what? I can take a hornet and send them in where maybe you, you wouldn't even know where they're at. And, 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 and I mean, did you ever see somebody who doesn't like bees or hornets? I mean, can you imagine if we had a video of some of you when all of a sudden there's a bee that comes around you and you, oh, 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 you know? And, and, and Moses says, you know what? These big and strong dudes, I can send in hornets and watch them panic. That's what I can do. God has more at His disposal to defeat the enemies than just weapons. Now maybe, he's, maybe He is referring to another army or something like that. But I believe He's encouraging them, you trust Me and you watch what I can do because everything is at My disposal. Notice He says when it comes to conquering them, I'll do it little by little. I'll do it little by will. They, they, they will not flee all at once. I, there, there won't be a sudden destruction. God could do that. God, God could bring down fire from heaven and simply wipe out a nation. And He could do it all at once. Remember there were, what, seven nations mentioned there at the beginning of chapter 7 that occupied the land. And, and He could wipe them all out quickly. And, but He says, no, little by little. I, I, can you imagine the carnage if He simply destroyed all these nations at once? He says, I'm going to do it little by little. I'm going to throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. Now go do what I've told you to do. Go and conquer the land. Even though in human terms, it looks impossible. Well, that's the passage, but what about you and me? As I was thinking about this this past week, I was thinking about the various instructions that God gives to us. And in my notes, I wrote down, I don't know how many, more than a dozen instructions that God gives us as the people of God. And, and, and I just, off the top of my head, I didn't get my Bible open and say, oh, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. 
But you realize God has told you, dear people, crucify the flesh. Conquer the flesh. He's told us to deny ourselves. How, how difficult is that? I mean, if you, let's, let's really be honest. How, how hard is it to deny myself? He's told us to take up the cross and follow Him. Be, be identified with Him. He's told us to pursue holiness. To be a people who, who pursue after holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Here's one. He's told us to love one another. There are some people that are difficult to love. Maybe I should look up to this guy because I don't want anybody to contact. All right? But we're to love each other. We're told to keep seeking things above. How difficult is that? How many of you this week have have looked at your 401s or your mutual funds and and and, and, and your what are we going to do? This thing's falling. What's going to happen to the economy? Am I, because, and we become very earthly minded and haven't given much thought to the things above and a God who loves and cares for us. Here's one. Rejoice in the Lord always. That seems really difficult to do. To, to rejoice in the Lord always. Here's one. I mean, all of these. I, I, I wrote them down because I'm thinking these seem to be overwhelming instructions for me. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Do everything without complaining. This doesn't seem fair. I, I shouldn't have to go through this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Bring up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Love your wives. Christ loved the church. Wives, be in submission to your husband. Go therefore and, and make disciples. Have pure religion which visits the 
orphans in distress, and keep oneself unstained from the world. These are God's instruction to us. Consider others more important than yourselves. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I'm waiting for somebody to say, Uncle, quit! These are overwhelming! Who can live like this? Whose lives can be marked by these things? And then we get discouraged. And we get depressed and we begin to think, woe is me. Woe is me. I can't do anything. I failed in so many areas of my life. And my friends, in the flesh, every one of us are weak. And, 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 and the enemy seems overwhelming. And we become fearful and, and, and tremble. How can I live like this? And yet the Word of God reminds us, without me, you can do nothing. I, I, I can't. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church without His help, without His nearness, without Him being there for me. I, I can't bring up my children as I ought without His help. I, I can't always rejoice in all things by myself. How can I deny myself? Without His help. Without me, you can do nothing. But He also says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Though not perfectly, I can, I can be a man who pursues holiness. I can be a man who, who loves others. I can go through day by day, as difficult as it is, and not complain and murmur. I can't do that on my own, but, but with God's help, I, I can live that way. I can do. God has never asked me to do anything that I can't do with His help. And He's promised to give me His Helper. There in John, we read, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. We have the Spirit of God. You know why we often fail in these areas? You know why it's difficult to submit to a husband? Do you know why it is difficult to seek first the kingdom of God? Because we're trying to do it by our own fleshly Exercise. 
Instead of recognizing, I need the Spirit of God to help me. To help me. He's given us a helper. In the same way that He told the children of Israel, the Lord your God is in your midst. The same is true with every believer through the work of the Spirit. He has not left us on our own. He's given us His Spirit to help us to live as we ought. Because He's promised, listen, He's promised you this, I will never leave you or forsake you. And perhaps for some of us, who see areas of failure when it comes to obeying the instruction God's given us, it is because we've relied too much on ourselves and not recognize our dependence upon His help to live as we ought to live. And so we need courage to press on. And determination to be obedient. Not because we're going to rule up our sleeves. Okay, when I leave here today, I'm going to rejoice always in the Lord. I'm just purposing to do that. No, you will fail. But if you leave here today saying, Spirit of God, help me. Help me to rejoice in all things. You'll find the grace and help you need in times of trouble. We look at the people of Israel. God says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm I'm going to give you, it's going to be yours. I'm going to clear away these many nations. Now go and fight and conquer. And we think to ourselves, wow, just do it, depending on God. And yet time and time again they failed. Disobedience and unbelief. And and so I, I, I see it with many of us. God gives us what we need. We just don't depend upon Him to see us through. And we find ourselves trying to fight this battle in our own strength and in our flesh. And we make very little headway. So may God help us to continually look to Him. And perhaps, perhaps there's someone here this morning, and you know that your instruction, your instruction is quite clear. If, if you don't know Christ, your instruction is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you must do. You, you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may say to yourself, well, how do I know that He'll save me? How, how do I know that will happen? And I say to you, remember what God has done in the past. There was this man who declared himself to be the chief of sinners. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. And God saved him. And if God can save him, God can save you. Paul's an example. If you're here this morning without Christ, then I tell you, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him, and He will save you. I believe what the Word of God says, whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Well, may God use this event in history to help us to live as we live in this fallen world to the glory of our God. Let's pray. Father, there are times when our, our hearts are filled with fear. Fear because we recognize our own weakness, our own frailty. We, we know something of that which the hymn writer wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And yet, Father, we oftentimes try to live this life in our own flesh. And we pray that we would all recognize that that is an impossible task. But may we live this life knowing that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And that we would diligently work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God who works within us both to will and do His good pleasure. And so, Father, perhaps there are some who at times feel defeated, not being obedient to the instruction given to us in Your Word. And that disobedience is often rooted in the reality that they've lost their sight of who our God is and to trust Him. And be able to say, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. So do a work in our hearts and lives, we pray. And we would even pray that some would come to know You this morning. That You would give an increase of, of granting faith and repentance to some and bring them into the Kingdom. So Father, take Your Word and use it for good in our lives as we ask these things in Your Son's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to number 26. Hymn number 26, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. And even as people of Israel are reminded to remember what God has done in the past, so we know God has been our help in the past and He will be our hope for the future. Hymn number 26, Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
having lunch and then uh, back up for, especially around the Lord's table this afternoon around 1.45. You are dismissed. Thank you.